one of the things that I think a lot of us have been up to during quarantine and during this time at home is you get down the rabbit hole of watching a lot of one show or series. Anybody has been doing that? Like just binging a show, binging a series, Netflix, YouTube, Disney, Disney Plus. So I found this show on YouTube called Worth It. And it's all about food. And so what these guys do is they'll say, they'll pick a food, say like sushi or hamburger or, you know, cake or something. And they'll pick three different places. One is pretty cheap. One is a little bit more expensive. And then one is just massively over, like really, really expensive. They eat it all three and they decide which one is the most worth it based on price, based on ambiance, all that taste, all that sort of thing. So for example, in one restaurant, it was burgers. They tried a $4 burger, a $20 burger, and a $777 burger, okay? And then they decide what is the most worth it of all of these, all right? Now, it really depends. So that one, the $20 burger was the winner for them. Um, but yeah, so sometimes they pick the really low end. Sometimes they pick the medium. And occasionally they pick the high end. Even though it's super expensive, it just blows everything out of the water. But the question that they ask in every episode, the question, is it worth it or what's worth it, is actually a question we ask all the time about so many things. Is it worth it to go back to school but have to wear a mask? Or is it worth it instead to be at home and be in school online? Is it worth it to go see this movie? <coughs> is it worth it to go hang out with my friend? Is it worth it to post this on social media? Is it worth it Fill in the blank. Is it worth it to come out here and have to sit on cones and wear a mask and for it to be odd, right? Is it worth it? We ask that about so many things. And so as we start the semester, that's really our big question, right? We're, we're talking about Psalm 139. We're talking about being after God's own heart. But there is that question we all have. Is it worth it to do that? Is it worth it? And who is God? And so the first six verses of Psalm 139 really are setting the tone for us about answering the question, is it worth it? So at the beginning of Psalm 139, I'm just going to read the first six verses, which is where we're going to be tonight. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So when we look at those six verses, the first thing we see in the very first verse is basically David, who is its author, he's basically saying, here is my big, big premise, my big fact that I'm just laying before everybody. He says, God, you have searched me and known me. Now, there's a big word that we use for this sometimes called omniscience. Has anybody ever heard that word, omniscience, meaning God is all-knowing? But what's interesting here is David says, yeah, God's all-knowing, but he knows all of me, right? For anybody else to know as much as God knows, they would have to search, they would have to see you, they would have to be with you day after day. <clears throat> but David says, no, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. And then the next verses, he goes on to show examples of that. That's what the rest of these verses are, most of them. So verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Okay, well, most of the time you're sitting or lying down. If you're not doing that, then what? You're up, right? He's saying, you know the entirety of my life. Same thing in verse 3. You search out my path 
Also, you search out my journeying and you search out my lying down, right? When I'm at rest, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm at play, it's like saying this, everyone was there young and old, right? That's basically everyone. Or to say when the Bible uses the term the heavens and the earth, right? The entirety. David said, God knows the entirety of my life. He even knows my thoughts is what it says. Now, the question is, okay, it seems like God knows us as well as we know ourselves, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows where we go. He knows what we do. But does he only know us just about as well as we know ourselves? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. A lot of times we know what we're going to say, right? I have a plan for what I'm going to say tonight, but a lot of times we start talking and we have no idea what's about to come out of our mouth. And sometimes that's really unfortunate, right? Who, I'm not the only one, I'm sure, who's had something that you're like, wait, what, did I say that? Did that come out of my mouth, right? But the Lord knows is what this says. Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. So the Lord knows us even more than we know ourselves. That's amazing, right? We like to think nobody knows us better than we know ourselves, and we don't even know ourselves that well, but the Lord knows us more than that, right? Verse five, David goes on, he says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Now that might seem a little odd. That might actually not seem like a good thing, right? But that means he can't escape from God's knowledge. And if we're wondering whether or not that's a good thing, he goes on in verse six and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful, too marvelous for me. Okay, so it's a good thing, right? And he says, I cannot attain it. It doesn't make sense. I can't hold all the knowledge that God has. Now, how does David know this? It's one thing for David to say this and us to read it and say, okay, yeah, David's writing this, but how does he know it? How do he see it in his life? And so the first thing in the life of David we're going to talk about takes place in 1 Samuel 16. You're more than welcome to, to look there with, with me in your Bible, but you don't have to. And that's where we see David for the first time in the Bible. And everything that happens in that chapter really illustrates what he's just said about God searching and knowing him. Because when we come to 1 Samuel, and there's a reading plan on the website, just FYI, to get through all of 1 and 2 Samuel with us this fall, as well as reading Psalm 139. So you can join along with that. It starts tomorrow. And so as we come to the book of 1 Samuel, the people of God, the nation of Israel, aren't being very faithful. They're not following God. They're not walking in his ways. They're following after other people, other gods, other religions, and it's a problem. And so God raises up a prophet named Samuel, and the people say to Samuel, we just want a king, right? We want a king to make it all better, a king just like everybody else has. So he gives them a king named Saul. Now, unfortunately, Saul is not the king they need. He's worthless. He's faithless. He looks great. He's a head taller than everybody else. But when they go to proclaim him king, for example, he's hiding among the baggage because he doesn't want to be proclaimed king. He's not what they need, right? And so when we come to 1 Samuel 16, the Lord says in the beginning of that chapter, he says, go find another king and anoint him. I will show you this one. This won't be somebody picked by the people. This will be somebody picked by me. When I want a king, I will choose a king. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he sees this family and he's, he, he says, hey, can I, can I see your sons? Because God is going to reveal to him which one is going to be the next king. So the first son comes up. He's the oldest, the strongest, looks great, looks like a warrior. And God says, nope, not him. And Samuel's thinking, why not him? He looks great, right? But we just had Saul who looked great and wasn't actually great. 
And that happens with seven of Jesse's sons. Seven of them pass by, and the Lord says, not him, not him, not him, not him. And the Lord actually says in this passage, he says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Psalm 139 to y'all? The Lord has searched us and known us. And David's not even there, but Jesse says, well, I've got one more son, the youngest, who's, who's out teaching, he's out with the sheep. And so they bring him in, and sure enough, God says, yes, this is the one I want to anoint king. And at this point, David is anywhere from 12 to 18. Super young, right? Compared to his brothers, shorter, doesn't look like a warrior. It, said he's, it says he's ruddy and handsome in the Bible, which is another way to say he's baby-faced. He doesn't look like he's ready. But God says, no, this is the one who I want you to anoint king. So David knows what it's like for God to search him and know him. He knows that all the way, from the beginning of his life to the end. So David knows that. And actually what's amazing is later on, God makes a really special promise to David. He promises him a son. He promises him offspring. And through that son, an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. And so David is following God. And the thing is, though, if we know the life of David, David's not perfect. David commits adultery, murder. There's times when he shows a lot of pride. And we say, wait a second. God searched him and known him. And yet we see him do things that we would never do and never want to do. And so the question we've asked at the beginning, you know, is, is it worth it? Clearly, with the knowledge God has in who he is, he's worth it. But then we look at David and say, even God's king isn't worth it. And then we start to ask the question, wait a second. God, if you've searched me and known me, you've seen all of my thoughts and all of my actions, I know I've done things that aren't worth it. I know I've done things I regret. I know I've done things that weren't good. Like Israel at that time, I've followed other people. I've gone away from you. Right? I might look good on the outside, like Saul, like David's sons, or sorry, David's brothers, but God has searched us and known us. So we start to really say, is it a good thing that God searches us and knows us? And that's where we have to see, not only are we fully known by God, but we're also fully loved by God. This is why David can write this psalm and say, Lord, you have searched me and known me, and your knowledge is marvelous. Right? Where do we see that? Well, David saw God's love in the promise that God gave to him, right, of a future son, an eternal kingdom. And so he looked at this promise. But we're sitting here 3,000 years later, and we can actually look to the fulfillment of that promise. Because as many of you know, Jesus was David's son. He was descended in direct line from David. He was also born in Bethlehem. And so we have the promise, and yet Jesus is also God which means Jesus has the same kind of knowledge that David talks about here. The New Testament says a lot, Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew what is in man, is what the Gospel of John says. And in John 4, a woman gets done talking with Jesus and says, he told me everything I ever did. And she's rejoicing in that. Now, I don't know about you, but when, if somebody was to say to me, I know everything you ever did, my first thought would not be to rejoice, right? It's not where I would go. But why can she do that? And why can David know the love of God, even though there's a lot of things he did that we'd be like, okay, this was clearly wrong. What happens? Why can we say that? And that's because Jesus knew all this. God knew all this. He searched us and knew us. And Jesus still chose to come to earth and give himself for us. Knowing full well 
all of our thoughts, all of our actions, Jesus still knowingly said, I will come give my life for them. I will come give my life so they can know the love of God. And that's why Jesus came. And so Romans 5 puts it this way. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew all we would ever do, and yet he still came. He still showed his love. And so his perfect life becomes ours in God's sight so that we can know and love the God that knows and loves us abundantly. And so this is why we worship. This is why we pray. This is why we sing. This is why we serve one another. It's because we've been loved and known in such an amazing and transformative way that we can't help but pour that out to one another and others that don't believe. And so our motivation is the love that God has shown for us, even in the knowledge that he has of us. And it's amazing. And it takes a long time to sink in because a lot of us think if anybody were to know me, that would be a bad thing. But God has searched us and known us and he's loved us. So a pastor, a writer, his name's Tim Keller. He put it this way. He said, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. Right? If somebody says, I love you, but they don't really know you, you're going to say, I don't think you can say you love me, right? Well, let's flip it around. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, which is what I've been talking about, right? For somebody to say, I know everything about you. I know your thoughts. I know your actions. I know all those things and choose not to love us. That's the biggest fear that we have. But the beauty and glory of God's love is he knows us completely and Christ still came for us. We're fully known and we're fully loved by God. And this is why we want to be people after God's own heart. So this is why this fall we're studying Psalm 139 and we're studying David's life to say, if David was after God's own heart, even though he had some things that were really hard, really messed up, I can be after God's own heart. And so that's what we're here this fall for is to understand how to do that more and more. Even in a weird world of COVID, even in a world where we have to be distanced and do things online, we're still trying to figure out what does it mean to be after God's own heart? That's our big question for the fall. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've searched us and known us. Let that sink into our hearts more and more tonight and this week, that you know us completely. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the words before they're on our tongue and yet you still love us. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Guide us this fall as we look into your word deeply. Uh, Help us to ask good questions and help us to take what we learn and apply it to our daily life as we go from here. Thank you for these opportunities. Amen.